hello there or hey there hi there ho there whatever one you know what we could do the comedy bang bang thing and if you have your own uh, uh, if you have an intro you want me to do you just send it to me on Twitter and maybe I'll do it completely ripping off their bit hasn't stopped me before um, it's New Year's what resolutions did you make you guys can be better people friendlier people healthier people more loving which one did you make I think I made the resolution to not totally fuck up people's lives or my own I think that's where I'm gonna go I'm gonna go without ruining things <laughs> uh, but like most things I'll probably well, that was really weird and vague. Um, it's not as serious as it sounds. Why did I even say that? I, I don't want to stop recording. I'm going to do this on one take, guys. Today on the podcast, uh, Mara Abbott, two B's, two T's, as she told me on Twitter. Lo siento, uh, Mara. That's Spanish. So I don't want to fucking brag on everybody, but I travel, you know? I have a passport, and it has a mini stamps in it. Uh... Sat down with Mara in uh, Boulder again on my day of podcasting. That I went up there, um, went to a library, and uh, yeah, just talked. She was really, really nice, and we'd never met. It was like one of those weird interactions at first, where you know, like you you follow somebody's career and you see them on social media and stuff like this, and you feel like you. You kind of know them. You've been running in the same circle for so long, but then it kind of occurs to you that you've never actually spoke to her. So it and it feels weird to like go back and 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 be very uh, formal and polite at first. But I mean, we had got it. But once we got past that, um, she's she's really uh, an amazing person and. I'm trying to find more adjectives and then the stalling makes it seem like I'm making them up, but trust me, she's great. This podcast, like all podcasts in the world, sponsored by Cardo Cyclist. Thank you, Cardo Cyclist. Show me some love, guys. Uh, show them some love. If there's anything that, uh, if, I mean, really keep pushing them on social media and we have a new program coming up to uh, give back to you guys, so stay tuned for that. And if there's any ideas that you have, uh, again, feel free to blow up my Twitter account. Um, last uh, podcast, we did like little confessions. By the way, I didn't get any embarrassing confessions from you guys. So, pick up the fucking pace, dudes. Um, my uh, confession this week is, I love salsa when I was a kid. How much did I love salsa, you ask? I love salsa so much. That when I was, uh, I believe, eight years old, I was eating it pretty much with a spoon out of the jar. And on the back of the salsa jar, there was like questions or comments um, for Pace. And I called up Pace and I told them, you guys make a fine product. And uh, I love it. Thank you for making Pace. So that's my weird embarrassing confession. Here's a podcast. What about you, Frank?
Did you see that freak on American Superstars last night? What? Last night. The freak on American Superstars. No. I mean, yes, I, I saw that guy accidentally. I don't watch American Superstars. You don't watch it, but you saw him. Yeah. Right, what, are you too good for the show? Yeah. I'm too good for a karaoke contest that makes stars out of people with no talent. <laughs> you can't say that, dude. Some of those kids have real talent. No, they don't. They have good pitch. They're relatively clean. They're non-threatening to little girls and old ladies. They have the ability to stand in line with a stadium full of other desperate and confused people. But I assure you, they are talent-free. Yeah, well, I bet 32 million people would disagree with you, bro, because that's how many people called in to vote last year on the finale. <laughs> I wish I was a super genius inventor and could come up with a way to make a telephone into an explosive device that was triggered by the American superstar's voting number. A battery could explode and, and leave a mark on the face so I could know who to avoid talking to before they even talked. And I could look and say... No, you're not going to be saying anything that's going to add any value to my life. Yeah, but it's funny. I mean, you got to admit that. Stephen Clark, that's funny shit, Frank. It's not nice to laugh at someone who's not all there. It's the same type of freak show distraction that comes along every time a mighty empire starts collapsing. American Superstars is the new Coliseum. And I won't participate in watching a show where the weak are torn apart every week for our entertainment. I'm done, really. Everything is so cool now. I, I just want it all to stop. I mean, nobody talks about anything anymore. They, they just regurgitate everything they see on TV or hear on the radio or, or watch on the web. When was the last time you had a real conversation with someone without somebody texting or looking at a screen or a monitor over your head? You know, a, a conversation about something that wasn't uh, celebrities, gossip, sports, or pop politics. You know, there's something, something important or something personal. You know what? Tate and Jeff were talking about that this morning. They were saying how their, their freedom of speech is in jeopardy. Well, you don't listen to them either? No, I don't. <laughs> what, are you, what are you, more of a KT and a snake pit type of guy? Because those guys are pussies, Frank. All right? And they stole everything they got from Tate and Jeff. I really don't like any of them. How can you say that, bro? So maybe they're not politically correct, but it's funny, Frank. Well, seeing how as I'm not afraid of foreigners or people with vaginas, I guess I'm just not their target audience. You don't get it. If you got it, you wouldn't be so offended. Oh, I get it. And I am offended. Not because I got a problem with bitter, predictable, whiny millionaire disc jockeys complaining about celebrities or how tough their life is, while I live in an apartment with paper-thin walls next to a couple of Neanderthals who, instead of a baby, decided to give birth to some kind of nocturnal civil defense air raid siren that goes off every fucking night like it's Pearl Harbor. I'm not offended that they act like it's my responsibility to protect their rights to pick on the weak like pack animals. Or that we're supposed to support their freedom of speech when they don't give a fuck about yours or mine. So you're against freedom of speech now. That's in the Bill of Rights, man. I would defend their freedom of speech if I thought it was in jeopardy. I would defend their freedom of speech to tell uninspired, 
bigoted, blowjob, gay-bashing, racist, and rape jokes all under the guise of being edgy. But that's not the edge. That's what sells. They couldn't possibly pander any harder or be more commercially mainstream. Because this is the oh-no-you-didn't-say-that generation, where a shocking comment has more weight than the truth. Coming home to a place he'd never been before He left yesterday behind him You might say he was born again You might say he found the key for every door When he first came to the mountains His life was far away On the road But the string's already broken And he doesn't really care It keeps changing fast And it don't last too long But the Colorado Rocky Mountain High I've seen it rain and fire in the sky The shadow from the starlight Is softer than a love Rocky to acknowledge that like I'll introduce myself to someone yeah. who'll be like I know who you are and I'm like well I know who you are too but I've never actually met you so I feel compelled to I think it's um it's like a social media thing like if you especially with like Facebook or Twitter like if you start following the person yeah and then you find and you do that before you meet them and then you see them in real life. I think life. you know something about them and you're like oh yeah I knew that and then you're like oh but no I didn't because you didn't actually tell me that I don't stalk you, I swear. I swear. I swear I'm pretty normal. Exactly. By all definitions. Oh so, my gosh, what do you have there? Well, because we're not supposed to have food or drink in oh. the bookstore, but it's, um... In theory, what do you have there? If I were to have something in my jar, um... I smell I didn't, an apple. I managed to talk my way out of, um, getting charged on my bike on the way home from Worlds, so in celebration about myself a juicer. Which kind? The Omega 8000. It's a good one. But it's kale, parsley, ginger, apple, carrot, I can smell the apple. celery, turmeric, <laughs> lime. I know. You don't feel like it's too much? Like, okay, I, I got it. it. Oh, I love it. Thank you very much. Wow. Yeah. See, I don't feel like it's 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 got no. Extra. I think it's impossible to get a cold while drinking this. I like to think that. Plus, it's sixty-five degrees outside, so. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Don't you feel like at a certain point though you've like added enough? You're like, all right, I got. I'm up no, to it's 10. like a, it's a well honed, it's a honed mixture. You know this mixture. I know this mixture. I just do the really simple one. I would just do green tea and then like Ooh. kale and maybe apple. 
Something really simple, I guess. The ginger is important. I like the ginger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're already rolling through the signal. So, uh, just got back from the United Healthcare camp. Yes. That's a, like, big new team that happened really quickly. Like, there was no... Have we started yet, by the way? Yeah. Okay, cool. I always look at it because I've had it before where, like, I ran is out it, of battery. Is it videotaping or just talking? Just talking. Okay, that's good. Yeah, we don't... I barely know how to edit audio i couldn't imagine video before i start picking my nose i think i should check you've been picking your nose this whole time yeah <laughs> uh that team came out of like nowhere relatively quickly too right um the women's team that yeah. is um yes and no um mike tamayo being mike tamayo he's been planning it for a while sure so it's one of those things this is another funny cycling anomaly where um you know, whether it's a contract or a race or something, people always congratulate you far after the fact. So I actually um, decided to sign with them fairly early back in June um, before the team was formally announced, obviously. Sure. Um, so then, you know, I get people right now being like, hey, congrats on the new team. And I'm like, wait, what new team? Because yeah. in my world, that happened six months ago and it's completely sure. old news. So that's another funny one. Yeah, I guess I heard about. I heard about it at Nature Valley, which I guess is June. That is June. Um, but it seemed like there was normally you hear rumors that's going to happen, mm -hmm. but like it seemed like it was going to happen, and then he's offering contracts like a week later. And that's what I love about it is that it's run so much like a business. Yeah. That it's not built on the rumor mill, and it's not built on this person oh. talking to this person. It's he decided he was going to have a team, and he didn't leak it until he had contracts to hand out to people. So. Yeah, I think that's the really bad thing with cycling. Yes. How, uh, I mean, by and I say by and large, it's even what ninety percent is like it's all fan base sponsorship. Like a guy may mm -hmm. want to put a million dollars into cycling, it and then may he involve may, you, and he may get bored and like end up deciding to do not do it. Yeah, he could have a bad year and get tired of justifying it to either board members or family members, and exactly then the whole thing goes away. So, but what were your first impressions of the camp? Um, well, like I said, it's run so business-like that that's really exciting for me because, you know, I studied economics in college and I like the rational stuff and I like feeling like it's a real job and that you take yourself seriously and you mm. look at the market value that you have to sponsors and all of those sorts of things. So I actually love that part about it. Um, not to cause anyone any offense, I'm not entirely sure. clear on um, the choice of Scottsdale as a great place to ride a road uh, bike. Yes. Other than like weeding out the chaff because it almost weeded me out. Scottsdale. Uh, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. But. It is um, like I'm having our team camp in Tucson, which isn't a whole lot better, but it's, it somewhat is better. cheap. It's like, it's like, well, I can, and like, and there's also, all these abandoned mansions out there that people will. Well, and we were in a hotel, but, um, also. To their credit, if you're trying to take photos and stuff, you might not want to like Southern California. California might be nice. It also might rain for a week. Yeah. And if you're trying to get all your photos and yeah. it rains on you for a week, that's going to be unfortunate. Yeah. So like, not it's... every training camp can be in Malibu. Exactly, but so Arizona's pretty safe for that. So yeah, yeah. In yeah. general, I like Arizona. It's just this town that's like surrounded by hills that doesn't have any roads going up the it's hills. It's an amazing thing, right? Like, you see all these mountains and you ask them, It's like, like kind of being in a nightmare for me. Because I'm like, I'm going to find the road up the hill. I'm going to no, find the road up the hill. You just got to do Bartlett Lake again. Yeah, exactly. And if there weren't any hills, like, 
whatever, you're in a flat place, but you're like, I see the hills, there has to be a way up the hill. And they're just there. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, you just, I've just lived here this whole time and just drove around the hills. Like, yeah. that's what you, nobody's ever decided to just see like, what's at the top of there. Exactly. Uh, what always annoys me, too, about people in Arizona is when you would complain about it. Like, oh, it's really busy, there's traffic, um, lack of variety, they always say, like, yeah, but we're always laughing at you in December. And I was like, well, that's just one month. I don't know, I just went there for December and I wasn't laughing at me. I actually like you, didn't, you didn't feel so lucky to like not ride with the arm warmers? Or? Well, because the week before I went there was the week that we had the um, 10 degree highs all week here in Colorado. That was horrible. And so I was riding my trainer that week and I've taught myself to read books on the trainer. And so No, you haven't. Really. Oh, I have. And I started Game of Thrones. You can read Game of Thrones on the one trainer. Exactly. And so people, Holy. and so like. Can you put that on your resume? That's a I skill. Should. No, it's a pretty, it's a pretty well, um, honed regimen too. Sure. Cause I'll read 10 pages and then I'll stand up for a song on my iPod and then I'll sit down and I'll read 10 pages and I can go for hours like that. Like oh. I can just go. So someone was like, well, you know, it's more interesting than being on your trainer. And I was like, no, I was like, actually, I think that riding my trainer at home right now would be more interesting than riding on this road. Okay. So let me get this straight. So That's a statement. You, you, so you do, you'll read. Like but, 10 pages yeah. or so, and then you'll listen to a song, and that's like when you go hard is during the song, because well, you probably no. can't go too hard while reading. So if you? I have to do an interval or something like that, then I have to put the book down. Yeah, right, okay. So this is just sort of like when you're getting doing... Getting time in. Getting time in. But you can't sit in one... I can't sit. I'm a, As a writer, I like to move around a lot, and like sort of the sure. stand-up, sit-down, fight, fight, fight situation. Sure. So that's that's how I break it up. Sit down for 10 pages, stand up for a song. Sit down for 10 pages, stand up for a song. <laughs> oh, man. But then the real rule, here's the thing. So you start a book like Game of Thrones or like okay. some engaging book. Sure. You're only allowed to read the book on the trailer. So then... So now you have a little bit of desire to get Yeah, the so trailer. like then I'm like, oh, it's going to snow. I'm like, oh, that's okay. I get to find out what happens next in my book. <sighs> that's amazing. It's a pretty I, good system. I thought I was like kind of a... I thought I was a little bit of a dork because I do books on Wait, tape. Wait, are you calling me a dork? That's why. Did you hear me pause before I said that? <laughs> and then I, then I figured, well, you're this far down. You might as well. I'm too far down the road to not know it. I'm going to say we're both dorks. How about that? I'm inclusionary. Oh, it's a deal. But you might you might be the captain of the club with it. Because I would do books on tape when I rode. Oh, like... Not necessarily on the wind trainer, but when I rode outside. Oh, I'm about to beat you. Oh, geez. So I mean, I... you're already ahead, but now you're just... Really no, I'm gonna to I'm gonna destroy you on the dork <laughs> scale. I got an iPod. Yeah. And I tend to train alone actually and when um all of my hills were destroyed in the flood, I was gonna have to ride on the flats alone and I was a little bit concerned I was actually gonna have to start riding with a little with anxiety. Other, start yeah. riding with other people oh. because you know, riding on the flats by yourself isn't all that fun. But then during the flood my iPod was destroyed as well and I um got a new iPod. Turns out these newfangled iPods, you can listen to the radio, which means I can listen to NPR while yeah, I ride my yeah, bike. Yeah. So that means if I get out by 7 a.m., I've got three hours of morning edition that I can listen to before they switch over to Colorado Matters. But it's the same, but it's like in a half an hour, 45 minute loop, isn't it? Mm -mm, not on weekday mornings. <laughs> it's like three hours solid, You're then amazing. it loops. Then it loops. Well, see, you're... 
Yeah, you blew me off because one, I don't wake up till eight anyway. Well, yeah, but then you end up listening to Colorado Matters, and that's not as interesting. No, it's not. That's what I was wondering. Like, <laughs> no, you should not to get you farther down the wormhole, but if you get like an Audible account, so Audible has an app for mm-hmm. the iPhone, and then they just have all the books, and then. Well, and the problem is that once I can go back up into the canyons, you don't get radio reception there. So but with Audible, you download it. Yeah, exactly. So then you're in, and then. So no, I found myself in. like riding around the block more because like it's about to end you don't yeah or you're sitting in your garage in your chamois still waiting for the chapter to end because you're just like I, I don't know how he's going to get out of this exactly but I can only do non-fiction I can't really do uh, mysteries or sci-fi or anything. I always have to do it's always biographies or mm-hmm. uh, some kind of dramatic story like I just did the Mike Tyson Oh, really? My Tyson biography is... Awesome. Yeah. it It's uh, it's equal parts, like, gluttony and honesty, and you don't know really how to feel about it. You're like, I... Because he, he's showing, like, how he used to be, and he's not proud of it. So you're like, okay, I wouldn't normally celebrate this kind of, like, glutton, lavish lifestyle. But there's a... The, because you know how it ends, you're you. I yeah. think you allow yourself to like. Okay, like he talks about how he did this, a spending report one year, his first year he got an accountant, mm-hmm. after all these years, and he was in the he he started the year six million dollars in debt. Oh, he man. made sixty seven million dollars that year, and he spent seventy two. <laughs> so he ended the year twelve million dollars in debt. Wow. Yeah. That's some kind of a feat. Yeah. And he just... I don't know. There's something... Because uh, you know he's okay. So it's... I guess like you would watch a car crash if you knew that everybody... You'd watch the most horrible car crash if you knew everybody's going to walk out of it. Okay. That's a fairly profound point you make there. So you're like, okay, if I knew that he was going to end up homeless and, you know... Yeah. You know, forsaken, I probably wouldn't listen to this but because i know he's doing okay now like no take me through this car crash i will watch everything it's almost more interesting in that way because you're like some like i don't know how he's gonna be, like like you said i don't know how he's gonna be out of this but i know he is so like yeah i think he made a he i mean because he doesn't have like a real he doesn't have any kind of education or whatever but he does make these like random moments of like oh, okay like you'd only get that if you lived like he lived so yeah i don't know there were there, i suggest that one next time if you ever want to get into that's that. a good one yeah yeah so this last year was a fairly good year for you yeah it was awesome yeah i mean i was talking to my coach um dean dean you know dean's dean. on this week's podcast he told me that he was on podcast and i didn't get a chance to go and listen to it but oh, i know it'll be up this friday oh okay i'm yeah. pretty i'm pretty excited to listen to it it's dean i know that's why i'm excited to listen to it <laughs> Um, I think that one of my favorite quotes from him ever was, we did a little video for CTS, um, and they asked him what he thought of my comeback, and his response was, in the words of LL Cool J, don't call it a comeback, I've been here for years. (laughs) But at this, I was talking to him, and he's like, oh, you know, stuff's looking pretty good, better than last year, and I was like, well, at this point last year, I was still pretending I was going to be a triathlete. And I was like, so, God, I hope things are better than last year, because if not, we're in a real situation. You, you started out as a swimmer, so, like, the triathlete thing well, wasn't yeah. a complete leap. 
I sort of, a... I've sort of said, I'm the site like as in the little boy who cried wolf. Yeah. I'm the cyclist who cried triathlete because I keep claiming, yeah. like I was a swimmer. I love trail running more than almost sure. anything, and I race bikes. And so like I keep claiming I'm going to do a triathlon, um, and I did one last year. However. I've never actually quite lived up to the claims of what I'm going to do. Was it like Olympic distance or? It was actually a strategically selected um, one that was, it was half Ironman length for the swim and a little, even a little bit longer than half Ironman for the bike. But then the run was only 11K and it was on trails. So you, you so cherry picked one? I cherry picked a triathlon because I was trying to get my, um, pro triathlete license so I could go and do other triathletes. How do you get a pro triathlete license? Well, they have, it sort of, I mean, it likes it, like cycling, they've got like their criteria or whatever, but there's a little dispensation. So if you're on a national team in one of the other three sports, then you have to do a triathlon and finish within 10% of the overall winner's time. Okay. And then you can get the license. So like basically just showing them Is that your telephone or mine. I think it's me. I saw it's yours. It. 719. <clears throat> um, okay. Um, so I got my pro triathlon license. So you have it. However, I, how, how do you keep it? Do you get to keep it once you have it? So I need to research this. Um, because that was last April and I have failed to actually use said pro triathlete license. So I don't need to know. I, so I don't know if I need to like go and do another triathlon to keep my name what in the you, ringer. What made you, what, what is it that's attractive about the triathlon for you? Um, there's something about it that, you know, cycling is very uncertain as a sport. Like you go into it in the best form of your life and like the strategy just doesn't play out or, sure. um, you end up working for your teammate cause I got an opportunity or whatever. So there's a bit of uncertainty in your performance in cycling and then triathlon, you just go and everybody goes as hard as they go and whoever's the strongest wins. It's a little more fair. And well, not even just fair, but it's predictable and reliable and it's yeah it's it's much more of an input output situation you seem like you're gonna uh plus if you pick yeah. the really long ones like i would never do an olympic distance triathlon like dean found me some amazing ones in europe like the alptoes and the Embraman and like all these like you want to do one that's like it's an adventure yeah it's gonna take you hours and hours and hours and you complete it and you're just like i am awesome so that's that's sort of what attracts me about triathlon. Uh, it's it's effectively like climbing or whatever, mm -hmm. like hill climbs, I guess. I mean, if you have the. Legs, I like the, I like those. Okay. Yeah, they're reasonable, Adam. What uh, what are you looking at to come up for this next year then? Like, um, like so, because you you went to you came from this place of, oh, I'm gonna do triathlons, and then didn't really work out. Or... Well, and it didn't really work out because cycling worked out really well. And so it was one of those things where like you get opportunity after opportunity and you go to the Giro. I, I mean, I didn't plan on going to the Giro at the beginning of the year. It was sort of just sort of a series of being like, well, that went okay. Maybe I'll try the next step. Well, that went okay. Maybe I'll try the next right. step. So you get to a point where you win the Giro. As a result, you're going to Worlds and like all of a sudden you're like, yeah, this might not be the year that I get a triathlon. And But at the same time, like, how do you complain about that? Like... Did you, do you, when you say like, oh, okay, I might not do the Giro this year, I'm not really planning on it, does that, um, do you think you do that to like kind of 
take the pressure off yourself or well to a certain extent i mean last year i was coming back after having quit cycling entirely yeah. and so i decided that i wasn't going to race my bike anymore and then i was like all right you know like maybe i'm going to retract that decision and so i just decided to sort of start and like basically it was sort of like every race was a test i was like i'm going to start racing like to see how it feels see if i still want to do it and i was like but i you know i just came sort of out of the ringer in cycling i was like i'm going to take it easy this year so like like you said, like no pressure, no expectations. I'm just gonna go and like see how this race feels, and then decide about the next race. And were there ever races in that buildup that like went really like poorly, and you were like, oh, I don't know. Not in particular, but I think that, I mean, you can't if you're basing your desire to do cycling off of like the result, then yeah. you're not gonna have that much longevity of the sport anyway. So it has to be. That you enjoy the process so even if you have a bad race yeah um and i remember at san dimas i crashed um pretty bad in the road race and had to get up and keep going and i was talking to dean later and i was like actually though i was like that was a really good thing because that's something that you learn as a cyclist is that you can crash and get up and still win the race yeah and if you haven't been in the game for two years you kind of have you don't have that embodied sense of being like it's okay i can get up and go and win yeah. still and so i was like actually it was really good to crash in san dimas i was like because remembering that is going to serve me later down the road this year and i was like and i'm glad to have like had that experience at san dimas that i crashed and then i was like i know that Never sounds really weird i was amazing. like our sport is weird <laughs> but it's true like it so like even if you're enjoying the process and you're big picture feel like you're in a good place then you can keep walking down the yeah. road do you feel the the year that you kind of tapped out? I mean, was it because there was too much pressure? Or? It wasn't so much that there was too much pressure as it was that um, I wasn't sure sort of what the societal value like. I wasn't sure why I was doing cycling. I'd sort you of went big picture. And yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, like I was like, my job may or may not have an impact on anyone. And also, I'm not even sure if I want to do it. But at the same time, what I really needed to do was say, okay, I'm going to give myself a pause. Um, I'm not entirely sure what I'm doing. I need to just like reboot and make sure this is what I want to do. Because when I got into cycling, it was a series of opportunities that presented themselves. And then all of a sudden I was doing it full time, which is not a bad thing, but it wasn't what I set out and intended to do. And so I sort of, frankly, all I needed to do was say, I'm going to take just a month or two off, think about it, make sure this is what I want to do. But when you're succeeding in cycling and you're doing well at something so many people want to do well at, that's not an easy thing to say. And so it could be as simple as the idea that when you're... Oh, yeah, no worries. Um, the idea that you're know when you're... Yeah, well, I got this magical thinking. I lost my train of thought. What's the question again? What's it? We were talking about how you went big picture. Yeah, and so I guess it's... It could be as simple as... There might be some criticism. I could have just stopped and said, I need a little bit of a break. I need to rethink about this. None of that stuff would have happened. But really what I needed to do... Was yeah, I needed to come to cycling with intention, yeah. having decided that that was what I wanted to do. Because I've always been the sort of independent person that I don't like to have people tell me what to do. Sure. And so, in this picture, it was sort of like the world and opportunities were telling me what to do. And 
I was like, no, I want to decide this on my own terms. And so I needed to step back, look around, see what the rest of the world was like. And then I decided that that was where I wanted to be. So I sort of, I, the wheels kind of came off the cart because I wasn't sure if that's where I wanted to be. And I couldn't say it. And so I had to sort of act my way out of it because I was either too embarrassed or too afraid or... What do you mean act your way out of it? Well, during the time that I was sort of falling, falling apart, I developed an eating disorder. And that was sort of my way of saying, of like almost shrinking out of the situation, like removing myself from the situation rather than trying to go for higher performance. That was going to sabotage yourself. That it was, it was, an, it was exactly, is sort of a self-sabotage. And like, it wasn't thought out at the time, but looking back. Self-sabotage is never thought Exactly. Out. It wasn't like I was like thinking about it at the time, but it, looking back, I'm like, yeah, that's what I was doing. I was sitting there either waiting for my body to fail or yeah. waiting for someone to be like, maybe you, should, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. And I'd be like, thank you. That was your idea, not mine. Yes. And so in not being able to speak what I was feeling, I had to sort of act that I was like, I want out of this situation. I was like, how to, and like, that yeah. was what I created with my body. No, like what better thing? What? It's a, it, it's a, it's, stu- all too- it's a stupid analogy, but it's, it, it, it's like when you don't want to go to school, like, well, I'll just be sick. If I'm just yeah. sick, I can't go to school. Exactly. And so I was like, I'll just make myself sick. And my body yeah. was actually fairly resilient and didn't actually really get that sick. It didn't like, break down that much. It didn't break down quite as much as I, as quickly as I would have preferred it to. See, um, I, I remember when I was in the same, I was having something similar where I was like, I don't know like what to do. Like, and I was really like kind of turned around and it was like, yeah, it was very big picture. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just playing bike racer. I'm not really into it anymore. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And I remember I was like driving, I was driving and I thought, well, like if I just, if I just crash, like if I just crash this car, like I won't have to think about this because yeah. like my immediate concern will be that I've crashed the car and like. The ambulance will come, and the ambulance will take care of me, and they'll know what to do from here. Like I, so I think it's yeah. along a similar vein. Of like, and then you think that, and you're like, and I'll wow. crash, and I'll just shatter my legs, and I can't go to bike races with shattered legs. Yeah, this seems like. The and you think about that, and you're like, it's really concerning that I just actually meant that when I thought that. <laughs> yeah, like, you're like oh, it's a good thing I'm too much of a wimp because, like, if I wasn't. <laughs> well, and I actually. The June, like, I sort of quit after the Giro in July, but in June I got a concussion, um, because I crashed while training, and that's, I sort of look on that as, like, the cosmic smack upside the head, because I was riding by myself and no one saw me crash, so we, like, don't know why I crashed, but it's one of those things where, like, I was not paying attention, and so, like, the bike god, I call them the bike gods, or the, the sports gods, wanted to talk to me and or the it's universe a good way of not blaming yourself and they were like well it's like the unexplained messages that like you keep getting i'm like sports gods were talking to me again because they were like hey pay attention bam but um i was talking to a friend at the coffee shop maybe a couple weeks after that because then once you've had the concussion you're like well can i race should i race i don't want to compromise sure. and i believe i said the phrase i was like couldn't i have just broken an arm or a leg i'm like that would have been way simpler and then i said that and then i was like whoa like, I just yeah. said that out loud, and I meant it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it. You want the decision to... You don't want to have to make the decision. You don't, because... Because who would make that decision? I, I think you get tired of... Uh, you feel guilty for not being tough enough at a certain point. Like, or I, for not appreciating what you've got, too. Yeah, like, I would... I remember, like, some of the most down I got would be when I would start a training ride 
big intentions, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 12, 13,000 feet of climbing, whatever. And then you get 45 minutes into it and you realize you're completely checked out and you're not into yeah. it at all and you head home. And I used to think that like, uh, I used to think that like I was, I was mad, whatever. Like I, I could be mad at anything and that was, that was like the source. Like, so whatever was mildly bothering me that morning or that week, I would blame this. I'm like, I just, I can't, I can't concentrate. I can't. But then I realized like I really wasn't that upset. I was more upset at myself for being lazy and not giving a fuck anymore. And it yeah. took me, I mean, it took me years to realize like. And like, you're like, that was actually a really simple reason. Yeah, it was. It wasn't X, Y, Z. It was just that I didn't want to do it. And I felt guilty that I didn't want to do it. But it, yeah, I made it something else, whatever it was, you know, mm -hmm. like teammates, team, training, racing, water, yeah. weather. I mean, the weather was like, I mean, you, like there's that shift where you go from feeling really, uh, when you feel like really bummed out that it's snowing outside or cold and you're like, well, I have to figure out how to get this workout in. And then when it's really bad and so you, so you feel that way normally, like at the start yeah. of your career, you feel like, oh, what am I going to do now? And then later in your career, you feel like, well, what can I do? It's out of my hands. See, I feel excited because I get to find out what happens next in Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm so excited. This is going to be marvelous. Well, and there's so many books. I mean, that's going to last me the rest of my career. We're in a library. I feel like <laughs> you're probably endless. No, I, I just mean in the Game of Thrones series. Oh, just the Game of Thrones. Because they're like 800 pages long, and there's seven of them, supposedly. And I just started. I feel like I just have such a... I have a... It's not that I don't have an imagination, I just, I don't know what it is. I never got into the Harry Potters or the Game of Thrones or... Well, and a lot of people say that it takes a while to get into it, but when I'm, I'm kind of a captive audience. <laughs> like, it's that or my wall, so <laughs> all of a sudden anything looks real interesting. Well, I have to ask you, I was, I remember uh, when you were with the, um, the peanut butter 2000, what? Ten. Yeah, like a few years, like four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. And then you went to the, the the Italian team. Diodora. That was like kind of out of nowhere, right? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't. I um, had decided that I wanted to be able to, you know, have my little independence movement. And I was like, I want to be able to get to Europe without the national team. And You have a real strong streak of independence, mm -hmm. huh? Oh, yeah, not at all. Did you just, <laughs> you just did you come from the womb like that? Or I think that... if you asked my mom, she would say that. I think that I believe... Um, that my parents have always referenced the fact that my first word was no. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I've got a bit of an independent streak, which serves me well and causes me problems sometimes. But I think that was another one where I was like, well, the next natural step is I'm like, I should go on this European team. And it sounds good. It was not good, but, but it did sound it good. It sounds great. Like, it sounded no, like a great plan. I'm going to have a European life. I did not want a European life. I already uh -huh. learned that because I raced in 2008 and 2009 with High Road, um, HTC, That's Columbia, right. etc. And that was when I learned that I did not want a European life. Okay. But having just won the Giro, I had enough leverage with the European team to be like, well, I'll race for you, but I want to do it in blocks. So go over and race a block and then come home, but still base in sure. um, America. But even so, it's really interesting because... Even if everyone speaks the same language, culturally, lots of things are very different. Um, 
and I struggled with the director a little bit on that team. We didn't really see eye to eye on anything. Sure. And also, that was also at the point when it was sort of the perfect storm because I was already questioning stuff, and then I was thrown into this Italian team where they were all really nice and they were awesome, but if you're questioning yourself as a cyclist, um, I would say an Italian cycling team is not a safe space for like expressing your, your discontent with the cycling lifestyle. So, it's you know, that's like worse than insulting someone's mother. So, it's not a good place to express yourself. Period. Probably true. So, um, that was sort of that was that did not help the situation, except in that it forced me to make. I think like it accelerated the process. So instead of me being discontent for years and years and years and years and years that accelerated things so I was like all right I was like we need to end this now yeah and so in a way that was kind of a good thing because it made me see everything yeah it's a I mean we just said like how you're a bit of a natural loner it's weird though when you I mean I would say the same thing but like I don't think it's a hundred percent there are still times where you would like to be in a team car and laugh and joke and bond in that moment, even if, you know, you'd rather train by yourself or have your own room or mm -hmm. these other things. But like it's once so a month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you need to get your fill, just top it off. Like, oh, I went on a ride with someone I know today. I'm like, today I rode with someone, I don't have to do it for another two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> like a doctor's appointment? Something Got it. like that. I passed. I'm Check fine. in for normalcy. I gotta go to the dentist next week. So, exactly. did you get to the point where you're like, I feel like when I'm when I'm by myself, I don't feel that lonely. Mm -hmm. But when I'm with a group of people that I can't relate to or talk to, mm -hmm. or I just don't find it, I don't find anything interesting to uh -huh. say. That's when I feel really alone. That's when I feel claustrophobic and want to go be alone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, f I never feel more alone than with people I I can't stand. So I wonder if maybe there was something similar with the Italian team where you're like I. Just well, clawing at the walls. And it's just sort of like, and you're like, if this is the life that I've chosen, and all of a sudden I'm with a bunch of people that I can't connect with, like, you know, you grow out of who the people that you choose to surround yourself with, and mm. you're like, I, but I'm not with people that I connect with, and I'm far away, and I don't know if what I'm doing has meaning, and... Sport? Yeah. Uh, finding meaning in sports is going to be a hard one. Exactly. I, I mean, sport, it's, I don't know, by definition, but by... Sport is what people do with free time. Exactly. Well, but then at the same time, it almost doesn't matter if you listen to Mr. Golich because his opinion I is... I barely listen to him. I, I listen to him a fair bit, actually. He's proven himself correct enough times that now I have to listen to him. But um, he has always sort of said to me, you know, you wake up in the morning. The most important thing is you wake up in the morning and you're a good person. And you go ride your bike and that's it. And so, realistically, I mean, if you want to go really... The most important? What do, you, what do you mean by the most important thing? About life and living. Okay. But just that, like, I mean, it, there are people... There are people who's, who have these amazing humanitarian careers, but realistically, on the day-to-day -day level, very little about what we do matters. It's more about who we are and how we relate to people. And sure. if you break it down, you're saying, well, today... I'm going to be a good friend and I'm going to be a good daughter and I'm going to cause positive interactions and like maybe like buy a sandwich for a stranger or something like that. <laughs> and you finish the day and you were a good person. You brought happiness to people and you live by your values. Then like whether 
you work in a normal job or in cycling, like that's your vocation isn't necessarily the point. It's about who you are. Sure. And so for me, I look at it and I say, okay, well, riding my bike, not terribly important in the big scheme of things, but if riding my bike is something that I enjoy, okay, like I could do that because I enjoy it. And if you want to find value in it, you say, okay, well, maybe I can gain notoriety. I can gain a face because people know who I am because of cycling. And then if you have issues that you're passionate about, it gives you a platform to speak to those issues, but also just, um, once people see you in sport and once people recognize you in sport, you have the opportunity to define who you are and define what matters to you. And so it's giving you this platform. It gives you a platform. And at least I hope it does. That's sort of the goal. Um, because if it's going to have any value, that's going to be the value is that it gives you a platform and it gives you an exposure. And if you're going to write, say something that's going to get printed in the paper and you can say something that matters to you and that maybe is going to influence the way that someone else mm. thinks like you got to be ready to say it, got to know your story, but that's where you can have influence. And then you can take that post career once you've been able to, been able to make those connections with people. But what if, what if you're not even sure of what? Because I think I'm so self-censoring sometimes mm -hmm. that, I mean, I, I think I contradict myself every other year, you know, like I totally recycle whatever I thought. Before. Mm -hmm. I, I'd, I'd be afraid of, I mean, maybe when I was younger and more naive and yeah. liked myself more, I would probably say like, oh, I have a platform, I have a, I have a philosophy, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I don't know, that, that's scary to me to think like, okay, now's my time to to impart a philosophy or, or, or a way. I think it is scary, but I also think that it's real. Like I sit there and I'm like, okay, well, yeah, it's scary and yeah, it's a lot of responsibility, but if I want to create something meaningful with this, that's the way I do it. And I think, like, I've always been a journaler, so like that helps me a lot for myself to like get clear on being like, of just writing down and knowing, I, I teach yoga and so I think of this as like all the yoga poses when they're teaching and they go back to anatomical neutral. So like, what's neutral? What's your root? What's, what's your neutral? seed cause? Like what's the thing that one I of like my that. teachers neutral? said? Exactly. So like, what's your seed cause? Like everything that you do goes back to one thing. So like for me, one really big thing is sustainability. Like ever since a little I was a little kid, I've been passionate about environmental sustainability and it's become more and more and more so. Um, as I've gotten older, so I think about sustainability, I think about the people that I love, like my family and my close, close friends, and like, they're the things that, and one of my teachers once described it, she's like, what is the thing that breaks your heart that just like, you think about it, and it just tears at you, and really? it just matters to you that much, you know, the person that you'd walk in front of a train for, or those sorts of things, and so when I can hold those things in consciousness and keep that in mind while I'm acting, then all of a sudden that makes speaking easy because it's not about, you know, whether you like this or that political cause or whatever, but it's about truly at the root, what breaks your heart, what gets you going, what gets you up in the morning, and that's... You're not getting so stretched out. And, no. And it's the very simple, out. it's yeah. the root of things. Lots of causes can come out of sustainability, lots of causes can come out of taking care of the people that you love, but as long as those can be traced back to that and what your anatomical neutral is, yeah. then, um, it doesn't matter. Then you know that it's attached to your seed. I, 
I think you're light years ahead of me. <laughs> I think I, yeah, maybe that's the problem. Maybe I, maybe I think too, too, maybe I think too large, and that, that's where the self-censoring comes in, where you're just like, I don't know. I don't know what the hell is happening right now. Or just, like, shooting from the hip, being like, I don't know if this is right. Like, I would say it anyway. I also, like, will pretty much instantly believe, like, whoever... It's, it's like you watch a documentary on one thing, and you're like, that's crazy. And then you can watch a documentary with a counter-view, and you're like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. I'm pretty much like, if somebody seems like they're really passionate, and they, they've researched it, then I just automatically assume they have. I'm like, oh, okay. See, but that goes with the independent streak, because for me, um, I don't like being told what to do. And I don't like other people acting like they're real smart and telling me things. And so yeah. I have, like, two or three people that I'll listen to implicitly, and then everyone else, I'm like, mm, no, I like it my way. You're so, not like one of the like, Google whatever somebody just said to you, and, like, oh, hold on, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I, I think that that all started when we got the 1993 edition of the World Book, and so any family discussion that we had where there was a point of contention, my mom would be like, let's get out the World Book, and we had, like, the 24-volume set of the encyclopedia. Really? Yeah, it was the original Google. <laughs> This every argument in this book. Well, exactly, but like if someone was Your like... Your parents didn't just do the like, I'm right, just don't... No, we'd look it up, but sometimes like if there's a, if the disagreement's between my mom and my dad, like we got we got to find yeah. some some authority. So then you dad, go to, I would have thrown that book out to so then you go to the, right. Then we go to the world book. No, I don't think that would have worked for him. That might have made him always be wrong. <laughs> Your dad's only chance to be right was through the book. Well, it, it was everyone's <laughs> chance to be right. Sure. It, it, there, there was no innocent until proven guilty in the Abbott family. <laughs> you had to prove yourself. We oh. needed facts, but this is because I'm growing up. My dad, um, he became an elementary school teacher, but originally he was an astrophysicist. And my mom was the director of the public library. So you're not going to get away with a lot in that, Terry. <laughs> you better know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I appreciate you sitting down and chatting with me. Yeah, no problem.